This is the Editor's Half Hour. Step into the life of an editor for 30 minutes as we discuss the craft of editing, industry trends, and editorial resources. Your host is co-founder and CEO of Peak Publishing, Inc., Nadia Jaja Pupa. She is experienced in all facets of the publishing industry, from editing to design, and works with corporate clients and self-published authors. Nadia and her guests are about to share powerful insights and stories on what it takes to be an editor. And this is your host, Nadia Jaja Pupa. Everybody, thank you for listening in to the Editor's Half Hour. We have an interesting episode today. We are talking about AI-generated content. This is nuts. It's crazy. Everybody's talking about it. So it's going to be a lot of stuff. So I want to get right into it. Today, we're talking with Ellen. Ellen is the owner of Ellen Edits. She's very similar to me, actually. She's a copy editor and proofreader. I also do graphic design and a whole bunch of other stuff, too. But we both are, you know, into the corporate world. We both kind of started in the corporate world. So Welcome, Ellen. I'm so happy you're here. I can't wait to start talking about AI-generated content. But before we get into it, can you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and your business and the types of things that you edit? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to dive into this topic. So I started my business in 2017 after I graduated from Indiana University. I have an undergraduate degree in English with a focus in public and professional communication. And so after I did that, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do with myself. So I just started to get another degree. (laughs) And then I moved into the corporate space for a while where I was working kind of in project management for a tech company. Um, And the whole time I was doing that, I started kind of this editing thing just as a side business, just to see what would happen. And that eventually grew to be just too much for me to balance with the corporate job. So I finally just transitioned out of corporate. And now I get to serve um, both creative business owners and independent authors kind of pursue their publishing journey. So on one hand, I get to kind of work as a digital content content manager or um, Mm -hmm. a managing editor for a lot of online creative business owners, um, people who are writing a lot of online content like blogs and articles and white papers, things like that. These are generally tend to be more corporate-ish clients. Yeah. Um, And then I uh, also serve independent authors who are doing full-length fiction and nonfiction. So it's a really fun mix for me. I get to kind of stretch both the analytical and more short-form content and then also help with the long-form, more creative stuff like that. So it's been a really fun journey and transition. And I love to work with kind of both of those audiences. I love that. That is exactly what I do. It's the same exact thing. And that's why I feel like we're so similar because we serve both of those um, it's it's like two buckets, really, like the corporate mm-hmm. world and then the self-published author. And, you know, each one kind of taps into that, you know, the creative side, the fun side, if it's fiction or nonfiction, but then the corporate side where it's really technical, it can get, you know, very specific on what's being asked. So it, let's this this topic is I mean, the AI generated content is is it's it's huge right now. Everybody's talking mm-hmm. about it. It's not just related to the publishing world. It's it's art that's AI generated. There's so yes. much. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so we're, we can tap into both of that today, you know, how that how this affects the corporate world and the self published authors. So mm-hmm. why are we talking about this? Why is this even a topic? You know, like, tell us what it is. <laughs> what is AI generated content? Because I will lead into this with one thing. Yesterday, I had I, I had two meetings with two different colleagues. One colleague said, Oh my God, Nadia, I have to show you this AI generated thing. You're gonna, it's gonna blow your mind. And I had never seen it. So my first exposure, this was just happenstance because we were doing this today. 
she showed me and I saw it like writing and it blew my mind. It was, she, she typed in a very generic topic and I saw it just go. And it was like literally writing before my eyes. And it was just like you said, scraping the internet with content. Then I talked later that day with another colleague and I said, Hey, have you heard about this AI generated content? And you know, what do you think of it? And she like practically cut me off and said, I am absolutely terrified of this. So <laughs> there are, it is not a, it is a black and white thing right now. Um, I am actually not, I'm in the middle and I, and we're going to get into this today. So tell us, you know, I, I kind of already described what it is, but why is this such a controversial topic right now in, in our yeah. uh, publishing industry? Yeah, well, you kind of hit the nail on the head earlier. I mean, it's it's a hot topic right now. Of mm -hmm. course, we're at the end of 2022. I feel like everybody's talking about AI-generated art. And so while AI-generated content is not a particularly new concept, it just feels like everybody's talking about it because we're in the middle of this conversation of who owns the rights to the content, who's mm -hmm. getting credit, you know, are we disenfranchising artists and creatives and things like that. So it just feels really topical. Um, and you're right, it does feel scary for a lot of people. Every time this topic resurfaces, we start to have kind of similar conversations. And, and I would argue the rise and fall of AI is it's pretty cyclical, right? It comes up, mm -hmm. it becomes a hot issue, then it kind of dies out again, then it comes back up when a new tool or a new improvement is made. And that's just the nature of technology in general. But I think specifically when you're talking about AI writing, because we've made some pretty significant developments in the last couple of years with the way that AI writing tools work and scrub the internet and generate content um, and the conversations that we've been having, especially like um, we're talking about search engine optimization and ranking your content on Google and Google's new, um, I think it's called Helpful Content. Um, mm. Yeah, their helpful content update, the most recent helpful content update. Okay. We're really having a lot of conversations of valuable writing versus like surface level writing and and who kind of creates what and where the real value there is. Um, and so I think uh, I, I too, I'm right in the middle kind of in this conversation. I think it's fascinating. I think human developments with technology is really interesting. And the things that we're able to get technology to do for us is really cool. Um, I, I do think we are definitely not to the place yet where any sort of creative person is going to be replaced by technology. Um, and we'll probably get into this later about like, how good is the content <laughs> actually <laughs> that these tools are making? Um, but, you know, I, there are always people out there who I think maybe fear mongering is a little bit harsh of a word, but there are always alarmists when in any type of situation when there's new technology. There are people out there right now saying, oh, writers are going to be obsolete or, you know, my, I'm going to lose my job tomorrow because this AI tool can do what I do. And I just think that that's too extreme of a position. And there are lots of ways to still prove that you're valuable to your clients and put out really good content that is really unmatched by these AI tools right now. Right, right. And and that's it. It's it's exactly what you just said. It's 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 one of those things where you can kind of allow that to sound like a scary thing and be afraid of a tool that's a very sophisticated right. tool. So let's let's talk about let's go let's go negative. Let's talk about the bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about a dystopian future. No, I'm kidding. But really though, what let's talk about those fears a little bit and why this is a little scary. And then, you know, we're not going to end on a negative note. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to talk about how this could be embraced and how it can be used as a tool. But but why are people afraid? You know, we already you already said that it, it the fear is really about being replaced. But mm -hmm. um, 
but let's get let's dive a little deeper into this. What are you seeing in your industry? And, and we talked about the differences between the corporate world and the self-published authors. How is this coming up in conversation in what you do? And what are those conversations like? And why are you being asked to detect AI-generated content? Yeah, there's a couple different ways that AI writing and generated content comes up in conversations. Either um, somebody's on top of it, they keep up with trends. And so their concern is, I don't want to have AI content delivered to me by freelancers. And so as an editor, what I'm asked to do a lot of times is make sure that I'm editing for AI content. And so there are a couple really good tools out there um, that I've incorporated into my tool stack that scan a document um, and are relatively reliable for detecting content that uh, is pretty shallow and surface level um, or follows the patterns of AI writing tools. And so it will flag certain sections to say, hey, this is probably most likely, it gives you a percentage, AI written content. Um, and so those types of clients are, they understand that AI content does not perform really well for SEO. It doesn't give examples. There's no data. There's no um, human narrative. All those things that we know perform really Really well, the things that people are looking for when they're reading really good, what we would consider maybe like binge worthy content. Um, so that's kind of one bucket of people. Um, the other bucket of people, uh, I would consider them <laughs> to be the tougher clients. These were the people that were hard to win over to begin with, right? These are the mm-hmm. people that think that just anybody can write anything, um, investing maybe in a high quality freelance writer. You kind of had to struggle with them to convince them that they were worth the investment or you as an editor, a real person is better than Grammarly. Um, Mm -hmm. So now that there's these AI writing tools out on the market, they just think like, oh, I'm going to cut all these contractors and I'm just going to use these tools to write my content. Um, which I haven't had a personal experience with that, but I've seen and read articles and, you know, people have been putting their stories out on Twitter and LinkedIn and things like that where they're getting replaced, you know, temporarily by these tools where one of their clients will try these AI tools. They'll see, like you were describing earlier, the words mm-hmm. just appear on the page it's and it looks freaky. magical. <laughs> <laughs> it really um, does. But, but really all that's happening is that tool Mm-hmm. Um, it uses machine learning and um, predictors based off of what the internet thinks people write and speak like. And it basically goes out and scrubs a huge data set of already existing content. And then when you use these tools, you maybe drop in a title, a topic, a couple keywords, you pick a tone, right? Do you want to sound informative? Do you want to sound conversational? You kind of plug some of these key concepts into these tools. And then the tool goes out and scrubs the database of already written human content. And then it says, okay, Nadia wants to write an article about XYZ. She wants it to sound this way. And we want to make sure we have these keywords. in. so then the tool basically just plugs and plays. And it writes down, again, really surface level. There's no deep thought or claims or groundbreaking anything. There's no so what to these articles. And it just puts together, you know, generally with this topic, we see these words used. So I'm just going to put all those things in there. And it comes out with a really mediocre piece. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of times people will say, you know, I'm just going to use these articles for now and I'm not going to spend the time or money to work with the freelancer and these are going to be okay. But like I said earlier, those articles are surface level. There's no there's no meat on those bones. And so while that may seem like a really quick way for you to put out a lot of content, there's no value there. And mm-hmm. we know, you know, from experience in, in this online space that the way to retain clients and to get clients and to really grow your business is to put out a lot of value. And that's just not right. something that AI is doing right now for us. Right. See, that 
That is so reassuring to hear that, yes, there this is a sophisticated software and it's a sophisticated capability, but it's not providing that value or deeper content. It can't it can't get, provide data, can it? I mean, come on, like specific data in, in, in a specific industry, there's just no way. And even if it did, you have to somehow figure out a way to cite that or something, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So this should be reassuring for anybody listening that it it is a tool and it can be, and we're going to get into that too, and how it can be used as a tool. Because right now there's probably a lot of people thinking, rolling their eyes like, no, it's not a tool. Like what the heck? <laughs> but it is, and it can be, we'll get into that. But this is reassuring to hear that it is a vague thing and it is a very generalized kind of meandering uh, type of content that they'll that it'll automate. So before we get into the positive side of things, I want to stay in the negative. <laughs> Let's stay in this this stark, like my idea of like our future, we're all going to turn into robots or rely on robots. <laughs> so um, dystopian. <laughs> so dystopian, exactly. It's entertaining sometimes to think that way, because I really don't, I have a very optimistic view on things. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I cannot foresee that um, things can be fully, fully automated in that way with AI. Uh, You can try again, like you said, you can try, like you can try to outsource work to certain types of even humans Mm -hmm. and not get the quality. And that kind of speaks, this is way outside of our topic. And this just speaks to experience and, um, talent and quality of content with editing. And it can go way up the scale all the way up to ghostwriting and way down to just proofreading. Um, It really just based, it's all based on, you know, the experience too, that goes into it. You can't rely 100% on robots and AI. Right. So okay, so, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, the the fears a little bit behind it and how the level of sophistication, because when you said that you can plug in tone, (laughs) <laughs> like that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like conversational or, you know, in a f- uh, formal tone or you know, right. academic. There's different types of tones when writing and, f- you know, flow, the way that sentence structures flows and stuff like that. But um, so is it the corporate clients that you have that are putting out maybe blog posts or different types of digital assets where you are looking at content that might be AI generated and they don't want that? Or at what point in your career or process did this topic come up? And it's like, hey, Ellen, we don't, something's wrong here. Or were you the one that, that were you the proactive (laughs) one who thought, oh, something's weird about this. We talked a little bit about like, spidey sense a couple of days mm-hmm. ago and you know talk I want to hear your your take on this and and why you want to detect it yeah you know so well I think um just as an editor in general there's this concept kind of like doctors right do no harm you want the best mm-hmm. for your clients you want their books to succeed you want their content to succeed and part of that is always checking to make sure that they're delivering value that they're connecting with their audience that they're speaking directly to some sort of problem or human emotion or conveying an, a narrative that is really engaging so i think part of caring so much about AI content is just a function of being an editor and caring about your clients and wanting people to succeed and do well in in this creative space. So 
let me just step off that soapbox. <laughs> I love that. No, but I love that but, you said that. Let that breathe for a second. The, the <laughs> fact that you, you know, you have this higher purpose to make sure that the content is that the best possible stage that it needs to be. That speaks right. to every editor and should speak to every editor right. in the world. <laughs> so right. let, thank you. Thank you for addressing that. I love that. <laughs> um, but but the first time that AI content or checking for AI content kind of came into my sphere, of course, I've been sort of following it on about this topic on the news and on Twitter. Um, and especially, I think, because my corporate background is working in a tech space. And so just tech trends in general are interesting to me. Um, but it wasn't really until Google released their helpful content update where this really kind of came front and center with a lot of these content management clients um, that are writing a lot of articles or they're managing a team of freelance editors and it's funneling into an agency and then that agency is serving multiple corporate clients or online businesses and things like that. And so when that helpful content update came out, one of my clients specifically said, hey, I want to start checking for this because I want to make sure the content that I'm delivering to my clients is original and human made because we know that's the kind of content that actually performs well and actually lands on the front page of search engines. Um, and so she kind of set that expectation with her freelance writers that, hey, we're going to be checking for this, you know use those tools for ideation, maybe outlining, but we will be checking every single article to make sure it was actually written by you. And so that was how I was kind of introduced to using AI checker tools to say, you know, we know um, the code base that was used. We know the programs and algorithms that were used to make these AI writing tools. So mm -hmm. we're going to take that same information and make tools that check for the likelihood of a piece of content being written using those algorithms. So that's really nice that we have kind of both sides to the coin in that aspect. We have the ability to write with AI and we have the ability to check for AI content, ironically, also using AI. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, but I like that knowing that. I think editors mm -hmm. need to know this because that puts you back in control. And that's yes. a big deal. So yeah, just to interject that. Well, and, and it helps us to deliver a better value to our clients. So not only are my clients trying to deliver good value to their clients, I'm trying to deliver a good value to them. And so after I was introduced to these AI checker tools, now if my clients don't bring it up to me, I broach the topic. I say, hey, you know, I know we've talked about plagiarism and we've kind of talked about wanting to keep things at a certain reading level. Have you also considered checking for AI? I use this tool. Here's why. And maybe we have just kind of a quick conversation about the pros and cons. Um, and I found that to be really effective. Again, this is not something, you know, if you're a business owner, unless you've maybe been under a rock a little bit, you, you've probably heard of AI writing tools. So it's nice just to have that conversation out in the open. There's there's really no point in pretending it's not happening because it is. Right. It's everywhere. It's all over the news. It's part of a lot of conversations in this space. So just talk about it up front with them. And every single case I've had where I brought it up to a client, they said, yeah, let's just incorporate that into the workflow. So um, it's not about calling out writers for using AI tools. It's just saying, hey, this section or this part of the article got flagged as potentially being AI generated. Let's mm. rework this a little bit so that way it's a, not being flagged that way, but um, a lot of times I can point out really specific examples is this this section is really surface level. Like we've made a lot of claims here, but there, we didn't give the reader a why or we didn't back it up with a statistic or a piece of data or personal narrative or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, the other part too, before I really even started working with AI tools or really started integrating like my thought process around AI while I was doing editing is... 
um, you were talking about spidey senses. You know, yes. if you have a long standing relationship with a writer, you're going to be able to tell when something is not typical in their mm-hmm. content. And so mm-hmm. um, I've got writers that I've been working with for over a year or two, maybe at this point. Um, and, you know, sometimes, of course, everybody has a bad day. So I'll get an article. I'm like, oh, <laughs> this person just must have had a rough one. It takes a little bit more editing than normal. Right. Um, but when you really get a feel for somebody's voice and tone and their mannerisms and, you know, this person really loves the M dash, this person's really hitting the semicolons, you know, or they use this word a lot in introductions. Right. right. You can get a feel for their writing. And when something is not quite there, um, that's usually a red flag for me to just highlight a section. Maybe I'll look at it during a first pass of an edit and then come back to it when I'm kind of reviewing the article before I send it back. Maybe I'll just make a note that says, hey, this doesn't really feel like you. Here's a couple places where I've highlighted that are specific examples. Let's rework this to make sure it fits with the tone of the rest of the article. So I think even if you are not using AI tools to check for AI-generated content, if you are really asking those deeper questions of the content that you're working on, right? Like, Mm -hmm. give me the why, give me the so what, we need to really kind of dive deeper here. Then it was, it's going to be easy to either identify and weed out AI written content, or you're going to end up inadvertently just editing mediocre AI content into good, actually valuable (laughs) content. (laughs) So, so this is really speaking to the skill, you know, people are hiring us for a professional service. Mm -hmm. So, so let's look at this from a business perspective. We both run our own businesses. Mm -hmm. Have you pivoted this into almost to your advantage as a business owner to say, do you price point things differently? Or do you, do you, build, bake this into your, you know, we're not, we're not going to get into fees, but do you say, Hey, you know, I'll charge you a little bit more if you want me to run this through or to look for AI generated, or is this just one of those things that you're, you're having that conversation with the client so that there's just awareness. I mean, Mm -hmm. it might be a little bit of both, but I'd like to know from a business perspective, if, if editors who are out there, just like us, there's, there's thousands of us who run our own companies, can we, or do you think, I want your opinion, should mm-hmm. we pivot our companies to be more mindful of AI generated content in the corporate setting specifically? <laughs> you wouldn't say this. <laughs> so we'll get into self-published stuff in a minute, but you know, in that corporate sense where you're, you're looking at multiple different, you know, I always call them digital assets, things that live mm-hmm. digitally. And that could be various things, not just blogs or articles. This could be deeper things like educational materials that are closed where people are paying for content. So many things out there digitally that are um, that need to be edited. So again, going back to this question is, you know, from a business owner's perspective, can we pivot a little bit to because we are bringing our expertise to the table and awareness? Can you charge higher or do you mm-hmm. separate that? What do you or just you know? Um. I think I made a comment during our, our prep for this interview where I said that I, I used to be like a tools and systems purist. I thought I had like a fleeting moment where I was like, I will be a better editor if I only use my hard copy of the Chicago Manual of Style, right. which is 1,144 pages of rules. Right. <laughs> it's so, bigger than the Bible. <laughs> yes. It, you could really... I think you could knock somebody out with that book. <laughs> you really, yeah. it's like so, this big. I, most editors, as I mean, maybe I'm, this is going to sound 
mean, but if you're an editor and don't know what CMOS is or Chicago <laughs> Manual style, you need to get an editing certificate or something. Anyway, yeah. sorry, I just needed to just put that in there. <laughs> well, and and I don't know why I got that idea in my head where, you know, I would be a better editor if I if I only use a physical copy. And I operated I that way for a really short amount of time <laughs> before I realized <laughs> that that was a pretty ignorant thought to have. And that if I actually wanted to deliver really good value, then I would be leveraging the tools available to me. And so I'm now I'm using systems like Perfectit, which, you know, digitalizes the Chicago menu of style and helps with consistency. And it also helps too, right? There is absolutely no way that I had enough brain space to retain all of the rules in the physical copy <laughs> of CMOS in my head. And There's so, a lot of rules. It's yeah, a lot. <laughs> exactly. Which again, is a side note, why you should hire a professional editor. Right. But I, you know, I think it's important for editors to integrate these tools that are available to them and writers and business owners in general in, into your tool stack. If it makes sense for you to leverage um, and you have kind of an understanding, like you were saying, a, a certificate, or, or maybe you don't have a certificate, but you have a lot of years of experience or some, you know, niche industry knowledge or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you have that knowledge base, there's no absolutely no reason why you can't integrate these tools into your system to streamline your processes, to create more consistent output for your clients, to increase value. Um, and, and I don't think you maybe need to pivot your entire business model, but consider integrating, you know, new tools as they come out into your tool stack. I think, you know, whether we're talking about AI tools or any other tool in general, right, like project management tools, uh, CRMs for client relationships, invoicing, those t- anything like that. If it works for you and improves your processes, there's absolutely no reason why you can't try it out. If it works for you, use it. If not, ditch it and try something else. That's fine. Um, but for me personally, um, I didn't increase my prices when I integrated kind of AI checking. I'm very transparent. Mm-hmm. Like if you look on my website, I outline exactly what you're going to get with every single package, what the pricing is. Um, mm-hmm. And during onboarding and kickoff calls, um, I will walk through like, hey, I'm going to be using these tools and systems to help me do my job better so that you can have a better product for you on your end. Um, and a lot of times having those conversations sparks just you know, a a greater conversation about, well, why are you doing it this way? Or I had no idea that editors also checked for X, Y, and Z. And so I see those things as a value add, not just for me to deliver, but it helps me position myself like, yes, you know, there are tools like Grammarly and this new, like there are a myriad of new writing tools like Jasper and Copy AI and Writer and those types of things. Those tools are out there. Right. And maybe you're a freelance writer and you say, hey, I use Copy AI to help with ideation and outlining, but every single thing I write is human made. I'm not going to be handing you these types of content that are not written by me and I'm charging you a premium for them. Same thing goes mm-hmm. for editing. You know, when I talk to my independent authors, I say, yes, I'm going to be using Perfectit kind of as a tool to help me, you know, make sure I've applied your styles and Chicago manual style across your entire document. Does it mean that I'm not actually editing? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> when you open up right. that manuscript, it's full of comments and, and stuff that that tool is not going to catch. And that Absolutely. just comes from years of experience. But there's, again, I see no problem in leveraging these tools into your tool stack. And then you can speak to hey, I've incorporated this into my systems and here's how now I can provide you extra value and why humans are still doing it better than the tech that we create. Exactly. And you 
literally just said exactly what I was thinking in terms of embracing this a little bit more as a tool. And if you're an editor and a writer, if you're a writer, you can use AI, you can use AI generated content as a tool where you might get stuck in the writing process. Mm-hmm. And there's no harm and there's no reason to avoid the fact that this is there. It's there to help. You can use the AI generated tools it'll help, it'll break you from your way of thinking. And then, oh, okay, the AI generated, you know, came up with all this great stuff that I can then manipulate and use Mm -hmm. or inspire you to think in a different way to finish your article. So that those are other ways that you could use it as a tool and not look at it in fear. Um, Now, here's the last question. And the best question, because this is this is the thing that I've hear I'm hearing on both sides. Is it plagiarism? to use this. If let's say there is, you're using it as a tool to get you unstuck from writing. Mm -hmm. And there's a sentence that you liked and you kept it. Or maybe two sentences. Is this plagiarism? Is this, it can't possibly be, but is it copyrighted? It's not copyrighted. What is it? This is such a, it's a heavy question because, you know, if you're a purist, you say yes, definitely. Because the way that the algorithms are written is that this tool is, again, scrubbing the internet for stuff that's already existing. And you're not getting any sort of attribution like, oh, I I pulled this two-word segment from this person and I pulled this three-word segment from this person. It's not giving Mm -hmm. you any of that, Um, which is partially why I say use these as a tool for ideation. Maybe if you get stuck, it can really help with like blank page syndrome and just writer's block. Or right. maybe you're trying to, you know, noodle out a certain phrase or how how you could maybe put something in more simpler terms. So it's good for those types of things. Um, but should you just take AI-generated content articles wholesale? Probably not, because at the end of the day, somebody's not getting credit for their work. Um, mm-hmm. We talk about this a little bit more. Again, we're in this the middle of some drama with AI generated art right yes. now. And people yes. are using um, like apps to get AI generated, you know, pictures of themselves. And then you've got people on the other side of the spectrum saying like, how dare you, you're disenfranchising all these, you know, freelance <laughs> right. artists who've, who've right. put their, you know, art out on their Instagram page. And yeah. they're probably right that, you know, somebody is not getting credit for that work. So um, whether or not AI, like it, that's a pretty big blanket statement, right? All AI generated writing right. is plagiarism. Yes, with an asterisk. And then the footnote says, <laughs> kind of not really. <laughs> not this really. is why you should only leverage these tools for, you know, a little bit of the work right. and then write it yourself because you are a writer. You're good at what you do. And humans writing content for humans is, for now, always going to perform better than AI content that is written by computers and made for what computers think people want to hear, which we know just doesn't perform. So well said. (laughs) Thank you so much, Ellen. I'm so happy that we had this conversation. I hope editors out there who are, and writers who are, you know, on the fence, maybe terrified, maybe using it right now. um, I love that you ended on this note. It is a very positive note that if you are an editor and you are experienced and a seasoned professional, you have nothing to fear. So thank you again, Ellen, for being here today and sharing your opinion about such a crazy topic of AI-generated content. Thank you for having me. It was a great conversation. Thank you for listening to the Editor's Half Hour. This podcast is your go-to resource for editorial trends, opening the discussion for new ideas through the real-life stories of editors. 
For more information about Nadia Jaja Pupa and her business, visit peakpublishing.com. That's P-I-Q-U-E publishing.com. Be sure to follow Peak Publishing on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And remember to subscribe and follow The Editor's Half Hour wherever you get your podcasts. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.